The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawkbox. China relaxes COVID measures, removing the need for negative test results before travel and allowing home quarantine, with authorities set to hold a press conference in about an hour's time. U.S. equities slide. The S&P 500 posting its fourth straight day of losses, while J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon telling CNBC falling consumer wealth could spark a downturn. is eroding everything I just said and that a trillion and a half dollars will run out sometime mid-year next year. And so when you're looking out forward, those things may very well derail the economy and cause this mild or hard recession that people are worried about. Meta drops as the company threatens to pull news from Facebook and as its ad model reportedly comes under pressure in Europe, while the social media group faces criticism from its own oversight board. And NBC News projects Raphael Warnock will win a crucial runoff race in Georgia, giving the Democrats an outright majority in the Senate and delivering yet another blow to the former President Donald Trump. It is my honor to utter the four most powerful words ever spoken in a democracy. The people have spoken. So, welcome to the program. Yeah, welcome to the program. Welcome to welcome the program. To the program. Yeah. It's your last Wednesday before you go on holiday. <laughs> oh <laughs> we missed gosh. it. We missed Tuesday. We didn't do that <laughs> it's one. The longest goodbye ever. <laughs> I, I, I know it's because it's so sad. That's why. Hey, look. Um, better mm. to travel right. and a, than arrive. Uh, better to have travelled than, than arrive. That's, That's the way it goes, right. isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Is that about life? That's about life. Isn't oh, it? we've just Basically. done a life metaphor before we started, didn't we? Yeah. But, but uh, or, or better late than never. How about that one as well? Right. right. Because you, yeah. and he doesn't know I'm going to do this. You um, called something, but you got your timing wrong. Okay. You'd heard on the grapevine mm. that the Chinese Communist Party may well come out with an announcement at the Chinese uh, Communist Party about easing COVID, mm. and you were right. Mm. But you just got your timing wrong by about a month. Mm. Mm. Well, they've done it. Well, they're yes. doing it. Yeah, but it took it took um, these popular protests but isn't that uh, interesting in that cities it took across that? the country rather than standing before it facing changed, them down. Um, the Communist Party's mind about how they were going to proceed going forward. Which is not how we thought would play out because no. you know protests on the ground and this type of society could provoke further protests about other issues. Mm. But it almost feels as though authorities have done that U-turn. They don't want to pick a fight on this particular issue. But, but, can I, I know you've got to read, I know you've got to get, go on, but just go very quickly, you're, yeah. you're our <coughs> sinophile or sinologist or whatever the word is. Part-time. Well. Part-time. Unofficial. But, but, but does this mean on other issues, <coughs> if there are social issues where there are contentions on the street or on the campuses what have you that they will try and face down Xi and the Communist Party is it the start of a process uh, I think that this is an issue where there can be a meeting of minds I'm not sure that if we're talking about other political freedoms the establishment of okay. a, so an opposition are. party I don't think that's gonna happen Fair enough. Um, but we can always wait and watch and see see whether there is any emboldened behavior as a result of what clearly is a pivot now for 
from the authorities on the treatment of COVID cases. So let's, let's just backfill for a moment. About 30 minutes ago, there was an announcement that came from the National Health Commission of China. They're going to hold a press conference uh, in about 30 to 40 minutes time where no doubt we'll hear reporters questions. But at the heart of this announcement, um, asymptomatic COVID patients as well as those with mild symptoms will no longer have to quarantine in isolation centres. Close contacts of positive cases will have their quarantine period cut to five days as part of a whole slew of new policies uh, that are aimed to address COVID in a less aggressive manner. And it is worth pointing out that there were a number of other lines from the Commission basically saying it is forbidden to block fire exits and doors. And we know why that is important in the context of the fire in Xinjiang that killed at least 10 people because exits were blocked as people were quarantined. Um, they need to ensure that public access to medical treatment is available and they cannot limit online or offline buying of medications, which again was another big issue that protesters brought up. And there are uh, very, very sad scenes of people pleading with the big whites, the hazmat suited security bureau people to be allowed to take their children to hospital or to buy medication. Well, the impact on the Chinese markets, as, as we look at this, I think arguably the markets have already bought into the idea of the adjustments because there's been a drip feed of changes around COVID policy. And these are just the latest and perhaps the most significant. In terms of the Hong Kong market, the behavior of the market off um, seven tenths of 1% right now. Clearly, um, there is a, a fixation on how the US behaved overnight and what that implies for risk taking going forward. But Hong Kong tech stocks um, also pretty much mixed here as we look at the behavior of the overall greater China region in relation to these latest uh, COVID snaps. Let's get to Ken Wong. He is Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investments. And Ken, the latest on COVID comes as we also got some fresh news for November on import and export data, which was again very weak and worse than the expectations. What does this mean in your mind for current risk taking in the greater China markets. Is it worth going bottom fishing right now for companies that have lost a lot over the last 18 months? Yeah, well, in hindsight, it was actually good to bottom fish a couple months ago. But the fact is, is that when you look at where we are right now, when it comes to valuations of equity markets, MSCI China right now is trading a little bit above 10 times forward earnings. You look at the CSI 300, the onshore Asia market, is still only a little bit above 11 times forward earnings. So when you look at it from a purely valuation perspective, you know we're still trading well below its historical averages. And then when you look at specifically, you know some of the opportunities because of a lot of investors, you know, being heavily underweighted on China over the past, you know, six to 12 months. The fact is, is that you're definitely now seeing some of the investors either, you know, especially on the uh, let's say some of the hedge funds who are uh, doing some of the short coverings or some of the institutional funds who are now gradually uh, adding back into some exposures into China because you definitely don't want to be uh, you know, heavily underweighted in the sector, especially if China is going to continue to progress with its reopening.
Ken, on that reopening, uh, there was a very clear phenomena of uh, revenge buying. I think it was described as, as as Western economies came out of their lockdowns. And we saw a splurge that led arguably to some of this inflationary pickup that we've seen. As we look at China, it's been a slightly different type of lockdown, but there has been a suppression of demand as a result of the COVID protocols. Are we likely to see anything similar in terms of an uptick in demand behaviour from Chinese consumers? We, we could, and, and that is one of our downside risk potential in 2023, which is, you know, we're expecting for the Chinese economy to grow roughly between 4 to 5% next year. We think that overall economic growth will trough uh, sometime towards uh, uh, during the first quarter of 2023. So we think that, you know, sort of the uh, late first half to second half of 2023 should be fairly good. But the downside potentially is if inflation, you know, creeps back up, because right now inflation, when you look at overall CPI numbers in China for this year, it's been hovering between anywhere between one and a half to two percent. So if inflation does creep back up, or if reopening starts to, uh, you know, sort of move in different directions and continues to uh, not uh, going through in an orderly fashion, that could potentially have some shortfalls into uh, where we see how the China economy could prosper in 2023. Ken, I was just looking at some of the big tech names, and we've seen uh, quite a decent rally in recent weeks around them. I mean, we're still down year to date, 10 cents, still off 30% year to date, 21% off Alibaba and thereabouts from MyTuan as well. Have we had most of the rally, do you think, in some of these tech names already? Well, obviously, you know, we, we have seen some buying uh, over the past few weeks. We have definitely started to see some investors having a bit more interest. But I think it's going to be important to see specifically how much further progress we can see when it comes to China opening up further. Because despite the measures that were, uh, that's been announced today, the fact is, is that overall, when you're still going into China, you still have that five plus three uh, days when it comes to quarantine. So for a lot of overseas investors, you know, for them wanting to visit China, for them to wanting to visit with uh, management, to do site visits, to do channel checks and so forth, it's still fairly difficult right now. So the fact is, is that when China opens up further, let's say relaxing some of its policies uh, further when it comes to, you know, less income, uh, when it comes to quarantine for overseas travelers, that will definitely have a much bigger impact. So overall, you know, we have definitely started to see some progress, a bit more improvements in terms of overall sentiment. But at the end of the day, it's still going to, we still need to see a bit more when it comes to getting more overseas investors, you know, excited about the Chinese stock market. Let's just touch on that as we tackle one issue around COVID restriction. There are still other issues, uh, namely the war in Ukraine, what that means for the macroeconomic environment and impacting the factory floor there in China. Uh, the other points being around the reshoring just because of national security fears around certain uh, products that would have been made in China in the past. And of course, the trade issues that continue to lurk. How do we get past those and what sort of overhang do you think those issues will have on Chinese portfolios? Yeah, in particular for China, our focus and our belief is that, you know, sort of the, the domestic recovery, uh, technology self-reliance, specifically looking at uh, energy efficiency when it comes to new energy sectors. We think that these are going to be the important sectors to look at. So much more focus on, you know, within the China portfolios on the domestic side of recovery, 
looking at specifically where we can see policy tailwinds to really help support these sectors. Because, you know, we know for a fact that China wants to be uh, carbon neutral by 2060. And so as, as, as when you look at sort of the whole playbook, the fact is, is that, you know, you definitely want to focus on specifically areas where uh, policies can help support uh, the reopening of China. And of course, you know, traveling could also be a, a very key important aspects. You know, when you look at some of the smart technology sectors, when you look at the semiconductor areas, you know, specifically, there are still tensions between the U.S. and China. So you definitely want to focus more on those areas where the Chinese government potentially could continue to provide quite a bit of support for years to come. Ken, very good morning to you. So why would on earth would I ch- uh, touch Chinese non-financial corporates when the alternatives across Asia look fantastic in compared with their debt profile. Let me just go through this. The Chinese non-financial corporates in the third quarter 2022 had debt in accumulation on average of 159% of GDP. Uh, Hong Kong companies had 278%. Now, you compare that with Indonesia, 24%. Malaysia, uh, 64.8%. The Philippines, 31%. Singapore is quite high, to be fair. Uh, Thailand, 85%. My my point being is the highest debt levels of most, if not all, uh, of the alternatives out there in Asia. Don't we have a problem with non-financial corporate debt in China? That's been something that a lot of investors have continued to focus on. You know, and again, it's not just now; it's been for the past few years. Specifically, that is also a cost of you know seeing some of these companies grow at a fairly robust pace. When you see earnings growth for some of these companies growing at you know north of 20, 25, 30 percent per year, that's you know some of the costs that uh, that's been incurred as a result. But ultimately, you know, our focus is still very much on you know looking at some of these opportunities where you know if these companies continue to grow at a fairly robust pace. If you do see specifically, you know, further continuing support from the central government when it comes to, you know, providing more subsidies and providing specifically uh, more contracts to some of these tech companies, those are the companies we look at. But of course, at the end of the day, you know, being fundamentally, you know, sort of bottom-up focused investors looking at, you know, growth at a reasonable price, we also do want to look at where valuations are. And of course, looking at debt levels and looking at free cash flows for some of these companies are also going to be important. So we have to look at all aspects. But again, you know, as I alluded to earlier, focusing on those companies with policy support from the government should be areas that you know we want to focus some of our and more of our attention. It's not great for international investors who are looking for companies that can stand on their own internationally. You're saying to me, policy support, whether it's from the PBOC or whether it's from the government themselves, that is keeping them going. And Ken, I'm just going to perhaps disagree with you slightly about this has been a trend that's been going on the last few years, because whilst it's gone up still aggressively over the last year, that non-financial corporate debt in China, uh, it hasn't gone up uh, across the board. For instance, it's gone down in the Philippines. uh, It's gone down in Thailand. It's gone down in a whole host of countries, including Indonesia, gone down in Malaysia as well. The Chinese non-financial corporate debt continues to go up as a percentage of GDP. Other countries uh, have abated that storm and cut their debt. But the, when you look at overall, when you look at a lot of these Chinese companies that you mentioned, their overall earnings growth is still growing at a fairly robust pace and higher than a lot of the other countries that you mentioned earlier. When it comes to investing in China, you know, looking at policy support is actually a very important aspect, you know, both short, medium, as well as the long term, because we've seen time and time again, especially from a top down perspective, those are really going to be the areas that we want to focus and highlight on because, you know, we've seen how some of these policy supports 
do provide a fairly strong buffer, especially when you look at some of the sectors this year in China, especially on the domestic A-share side, like some of the uh, new energy, some of the renewables. You know, We have definitely seen quite a bit of rise in some of these companies as a result of a strong push by the central government, by various uh, entities when it comes to trying to make a strong uh, push uh, for some of these sectors. Ken, thank you so much for joining us today. Ken Wong, Asia Equity Portfolio Specialist at East Spring Investments. And as we wait on that press conference, you can read why Singapore's foreign minister says China's reopening is a bigger driver for crude prices than Western sanctions. That article is on CNBC.com. Coming up on the show, Wall Street CEOs ring the alarm bell over a looming U.S. recession, with J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon warning that the Fed is leading the U.S. into the unknown. And for more on China potentially easing its strict COVID rules as well as the latest market action, check out the Squawk Box podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Right, really tricky stage for many people at the moment who are trying to dip their toe because they think that the uh, the seasonal rally uh, is going to um, basically mean that you, you, you've got a good opportunity of making money on the upside, on the green in this market. But unfortunately, the, the news on a daily basis isn't giving you that much confidence, especially when you get strongest data like you had with the ISM at the start of the week as well. Then you start thinking, oh my goodness me, is the PPI later in this week going to be a bit hot? And do I have to take off some of my um, Fed lessening increasing bets but then you've got cpi next week and you've got the fed and i'll stand by what i said very difficult to put on a conviction trade on this market before we've had the fed before we've had the cpi and the problem in the meantime is the drip feed of news it is just underwhelming investors. For instance, yesterday, I think it was Paramount uh, who taught Paramount Global, the CEO warning of lower fourth quarter ad revenue, shares down 7%. Morgan Stanley, uh, and I'll come to that in a few moments' time, uh, cutting a couple of percent of the workforce. Let's have a look at the tech stocks, actually. Uh, the team's got those ready for us as well. And what's the one I want to look at here? I want to look at Meta, as you can see, the standout to the downside, all those solid declines on all those big American companies that have had such a downtick uh, over the last year. 6.8% lower for Meta. Again, we talk a lot of time about Twitter and their headaches on the moderation front, their headaches on whether the EU and other jurisdictions are, are going to allow their content moderation rules to continue as they are or the fairly chaotic way that their content moderation rules are going. Let's be honest about it. Meta are going their own problems potentially uh, with EU regulators there. I will whiz on actually to the bank stocks actually because it was Morgan Stanley, yes, and uh, Jamie Dimon. We'll get some sound from Jamie Dimon. Look, whatever you think about Jamie Dimon, he is always interesting, always interesting. And I think he's made some interesting interventions in the last 24 hours as well. But it was Morgan Stanley uh, that led the sector low, although I say that Bank of America was down 4.3% uh, on those cuts to the workforce. They are at the periphery, um, but you know, unfortunately, it's one of those time-honoured traditions that at this time of year, 
companies who are looking at their balance sheet for 2023 do tend to cut a lot of employees and it's it's a cruel time of year unfortunately but that's life in many ways especially in the investment banking arena now oil oil is really i think the most interesting asset class this week in terms of movements as well because there's a lot of reasons why you the viewer you the investor and you, the hedge fund, yes, I'm looking at you as well, may think that oil should be going up at the moment. And I was at a Goldman's conference last week, wasn't I? Talking to Jeff Curry, who's uh, the Goldman's guru on oil as well. And he still thinks that we're going to see uh, north of $100 per barrel uh, at some stage. And I know they've cut from 140 to 130 to, I think, 110 on Brent, but they're still longer-term bullish. Well, it's all very well being longer-term bullish for you, the trader out there. But in the meantime, oil is getting a pummeling. Pummeling on, I think Jeff mentioned some import data out of China, disappointment there. Concern about the global economy, concern about the US economy as well. And don't ever forget that one of the major contributors to the movement of the oil price and to any asset is positioning of investors. And if everyone's long this product, you've got to have quite high conviction to top up their long, despite the fact that you're probably getting some margin calls on this as well, saying, well, you need to put a bit more money in. Variation margin, it's called as well, uh, in order to top up your holding on that. If you are trading on some form of margin, you might just own the product outright. Most of you don't, but it's interesting anyway. So WTI, 74 bucks, Brent, 79.50. And I'll have a bet with you. If it maintains the level below $80 a barrel, we will hear some Middle Eastern noise about an emergency meeting within the next couple of weeks. Of course, the last one, kind of underwhelming, really. We had reporters ready to go from all over CNBC, ready to descend upon Vienna, and then they made it virtual. So I would bet with you that we'll see some noise coming out of OPEC quite soon if this move continues. It's not a big bet, to be fair. I don't think that's a hard one to make money on. Uh, right, let's have a look at Asian markets as well and where they're currently trading as well. Now, negative across the board, despite the fact that there's that COVID news, but are we going to see better moves to the upside on European indices? At the moment, at this very early stage, I think we are. But in the meantime, Karen, you have some very exciting news on US banks. Yeah, it was really interesting reading on what a lot of banking CEOs see on the horizon when it comes to the economy. Those US bank bosses are voicing concern about the health of the US economy heading into 2023. Speaking at a Wall Street Journal event, Goldman Sachs' David Solomon said the bank is preparing for a recession next year, adding it will likely need to pull back activity in some areas. It does follow news that Morgan Stanley is cutting its headcount by around 2%. That is a total of around 1,600 jobs. Meanwhile, over at Bank of America, Brian Moynihan is saying the lender is not planning to actively lay off staff, but is looking at shrinking its headcount long term. JP Morgan boss Jamie Dimon told CNBC that ongoing price pressures could erode consumer savings and business sentiment, ultimately tipping the U.S. into recession next year. Dimon also warned that the Fed's tightening policy was taking the American economy into uncharted territory. The other risk we have is quantitative tightening. We've never had it before, ever in the lifetime of mankind. So I look at that as something we should be quite concerned about. And, you know, this, so the suppression of the 10-year bond rate has been going on for 20 years, and it can't really be suppressed anymore. And, you know, QT has just started, so it's very possible. And if you have, like, 2% inflation, you should have a 4% bond today. So I don't look at this like it's got to go get better than here. Obviously, it's a, it's a risk on trade. But that, that mindset may change if inflation sticks around a little bit longer. Speaking as part of Squawk Box's business roundtable on Tuesday, American business leaders said indicators remain positive heading into the new year, but that a looming slowdown gives reason to remain cautious. 
Our survey only covers the next six months. So at least over the next six months, I think what you're seeing is uh, a group of CEOs who are largely very cautious, still hopeful that there can be some kind of soft landing in the economy. And most of them are still, uh, still hiring and investing to at least to some degree. If I didn't watch CNBC in the morning, which I do, uh, the word recession wouldn't be in my vocabulary, just looking at our wow. data. But you just can't see it in our data. When you think about what's happening, families are choosing when they buy their big basket of things that they need all the time to look for value. Many of them are coming to us for those big food and consumables baskets, and then they're being selective on general merchandise. We're trying to make sure we're, we're being conservative in how, how we plan for cost, but uh, you know, there is still pent-up demand. So a lot is going to depend on what happens to the economy. Uh, I'm not going to call right. a recession. That's for economists to do, but right now we're still seeing a pretty strong consumer. Just hearing that, that the consumer is key, but you can also hear more from Jamie Dimon's exclusive interview with our US colleagues at CNBC.com. BlackRock's Larry Fink is facing shareholder pressure to step down as CEO over ESG claims. Activist shareholder Bluebell Capital accused Fink and BlackRock of hypocrisy by having taken up investment positions in thermal coal production whilst touting its environmental credentials. Bluebell is known for having targeted Glencore and Solvay on environmental issues as well as for helping topple Danone CEO Emmanuel Faber in 2021. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.